Welcome to the Biblical Hermeneutics Podcast, where we explore biblical hermeneutics so we can discover how to live biblically for God's glory. Welcome to episode 23 of the Biblical Hermeneutics Podcast. I hope that you are able to access this episode by 5 a.m. on Wednesday. The last episode, we had some trouble uploading it, and so it was, it was a few hours late hitting the uh, wherever you listen to your podcast, but hopefully this one's on time. I appreciate your patience and understanding uh, with that. But I'm your host, John Oglesby, and uh, if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast. It helps the podcast as well as let you know when new content is being published. Today in this episode, we want to continue our journey down the uh, exegetical journey, if you will, down the uh, road of uh, applying biblical hermeneutics to create a interpretive methodology. Okay, and so we started out by three recommended readings. Then we uh, looked at verifying text and translation, and then step two is identify historical and cultural background. Last week we looked at identifying structural keys, and this week we're going to be looking at identifying grammatical and syntactical keys, and potentially looking at uh, step five, which is identifying lexical keys. So uh, we'll see how far we get in our thirty-minute time frame here. Uh, so we're going to start out with identifying grammatical and syntactical keys. And like we've done in the past episodes, I want to ask why. Why are we doing this? Uh, and this one's a little more uh, simple and, and easy to identify. Well, grammar and syntax, they convey meaning, right? Grammar pointing to the rules or principles behind the relationship between words. Uh, and then syntax pointing to the end product of those relationships. It's kind of like, uh, it's similar to how hermeneutics are the principles behind exegesis. Uh, it's, it's similar. A lot of people would place syntax under the umbrella of grammar, and, and I'm okay with that too, so... Uh, however you want to do it, but but needless to say, grammar and syntax, they convey meaning, okay? Lexicology uh, is next, and that's uh, that's where we're going to be looking at definition of words, and grammar and syntax are coming before lexicology because relationship between words is what defines the words themselves, and so we'll get into that a little bit later, uh, but that's the reasoning behind lexicology coming next. One professor I had had a uh, kind of a piece of paper framed above his head when he was teaching, and it said, context is king. Well, in order to understand the context surrounding the words, we need to understand the grammar and syntax being used. And so that's this is an important step, and it really, really matters. And so how is this done? We're going to kind of walk through a step-by-step, and, and in some situations, not all of these will be completed. You know, it'll be dis- at a discernment of the interpreter, but in all of them, we want to start by identifying main parts of speech, right? So this is Uh, Things like nouns, verbs, adjectives, adverbs, conjunctions, prepositions, object of the prepositions, direct object. Now, you might be thinking, especially if you didn't care for uh, English class in uh, in grade school, you might be thinking, this sounds terrible. But truth of the matter is, God communicated using nouns and verbs. He used words, written language, and so it's important that we understand those things. And I will admit, uh, I didn't really understand grammar and syntax until, until I started taking Greek in college. Uh, I, I obviously went through plenty of, of English courses, uh, but it seems when you're going through those courses, like I speak English all the time. And so is this really important? And I will say it is important, uh, especially when you get into reading and writing and just trying to understand communication. Obviously, it's important. But I didn't actually grasp the importance until I started dealing with the original languages because now I'm trying to learn something else, and the, the something else I'm trying to learn has a mass, uh, is just incredibly important, and with the perfect communicator, he communicates with intention. He's, he's doing it on purpose. He doesn't make mistakes in his writing, and so 
every little detail matters. And so when you start getting into the grammar and syntax, you recognize, man, uh, this, this every little detail is important. And so as we look, as we start this step, you want to identify those grammatical and syntactical keys. And that can be as easy as printing out uh, the passage. I used to take binders and I would uh, uh, copy and paste whatever book I'm studying and I would put it in Microsoft Word and I would triple space it so that I could take notes on the piece of paper. Now you might think that's a little old school, but honestly, for as young as I am, I'm, I'm a little old school. I like, I like paper. So, so anyways, I used to do that. And then you would just simply write, if it's a noun, put an N above it or a V for verb or an ADJ for adjective or an ADV above the word for an adverb and so on and so forth. And you're just taking these grammatical and syntactical notes on this sheet of paper. You can do the same thing in programs like Logos and things like that. Uh, uh, it's a little different, but the same concept. You can make a highlighting system or you can start taking notes next to words and things like that. So there's options, digital options. But again, maybe I'm just a little old school. But identifying the, the main parts of speech. And you can get as detailed with this as you want. You know, what type of pronoun is that? Sure, you identified it as a pronoun, but what type is it? You know, is it a, is it a personal pronoun? It's so you can, you can get as detailed as you like, but, uh, but for me, I tend to, I tend to, at least we need to understand the main parts. Is this a conjunction or is it not? Is this a verb or an adverb or a noun? Because once you identify those things, an adverb relates to something, you know, a, a, a verb relate is, is kind of driving the argument. It's what drives the, the flow of thinking. And so if you can identify the verbs, it's really simple especially when you get into doing things like phrasing, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, verbs are really, really important, especially in the Greek language. It drives the, the narrative. Uh, and so identifying parts of speech is really important. Uh, so start by doing that. And then you want to do a, a diagram your sentence at some degree. Some people get really detailed on this. Again, you can get as detailed as you want. Uh, for me, especially as I'm, as I'm uh, trying to move somewhat quickly, uh, I don't have any official system for diagramming a sentence, and I don't even really technically diagram. So I, I identify the main parts of speech, and then I basically use arrows. Uh, so this word is connects here, and then uh, along like the arc of the arrow from one word to the next, I'll write how it relates, right? So uh, so this noun is connect. Here's the main noun. Here's the main verb, and this is how they relate. Uh, and then you've got your your preposition and your object of the preposition. These two are together and this is how it relates, right? You have your conjunction. What is it connecting and how is it connecting it? Okay, so you just use arrows to kind of go from word to word. And so in personal pronouns, you, you, you use an arrow to mark the antecedent. Who, who is the, who's it talking about? Who's the personal pronoun talking about, right? So I just use, simply use arrows, but you can, there's, a, there's actually a formal system for diagramming. Um, and so if you want to go that route, you certainly can. I just typically don't. But you do want to diagram your sentence in some, in some way, identifying parts of speech and then seeing how they, how they relate. So after you do that, you want to identify figures of speech. Uh, so, you know, you've got your metaphors, your similes, your parallelism, allegory, parables, hyperbole. I mean, fill in the blank. There's uh, double entendres, whatever the case may be. You've got all of these figures of speech. And so you need to identify those. So on your piece of paper or in your software, or whatever you're using, you want to be able to mark it somehow. Uh, you know, maybe put it in brackets and then underneath the brackets, write what the figure of speech is. So brackets is now your symbol for this is a figure of speech and what's that figure of speech. And eventually, as you get further into the interpretive process, you're going to want to be able to identify, okay, what's the, 
what's the object behind that figure, right? So what I mean by that is, is say you've got a metaphor. Uh, the, the one I grew up with is it's raining cats and dogs outside, okay, right? It's a, it's a metaphor for it's raining really, really hard outside. I don't really know where the raining cats and dogs came from, but that, that's the one that always pops out in my head. Uh, and so, so what I would do is I would put that in brackets, it's raining cats and dogs, and then define it underneath it. What's it pointing to? What's the, what's the and I'm going to say literal, what's the literal meaning behind the figure of speech? What's it emphasizing? Um, because there is always something that that figure of speech, that metaphor is pointing to. Uh, it's not just simply um, a flowery language for flowery language's sake. It's to emphasize something within that, within that figure of speech. So you want to identify them and you want to mark them somehow, however you, however you, whatever system you come up with, however you want to do it. Then you want to identify quotations. And this sounds kind of silly because quotations are identified within the text itself. But you really want to do this. Uh, and the reason I say this, and, and let me see if I can uh, pull up, I think it's Job 38. Nope, it's definitely before 38. Uh, so let's go back. Uh, 37. Man, uh, so let's see, wise men. Let me try and do a quick search. Job. All right, so here it is. Job 34, 34. Man, I was way off. I was like four chapters off. So, so we have Elihu responding, and this is in a quotation. It says, men of understanding will say to me, and a wise man who hears me, Job speaks without knowledge and his words are without wisdom. Job ought to be tried to the limit because he answers like wicked men. And this might actually point to the importance of diagramming your sentence more than, than identifying quotations. But there's a, a well-known um, uh, scholar, biblical scholar, who I respect highly, who says that Job is saying that, uh, or that, that Elihu, excuse me, is saying that Job speaks without knowledge. Well, that's not what Elihu is saying. Elihu is saying that men of understanding will say to me, wise man who hears me will say, Job speaks without knowledge. And if you look at the NASB, they actually put uh, another quotation around Job speaks without knowledge because Elihu's not the one saying Job speaks without knowledge, but he's saying that these others are saying Job speaks without knowledge. And the quotation marks in the NASB will confirm that. Now, again, uh, go into the Greek and you're not going to find uh, the, or the Hebrew, excuse me. You go into the Hebrew, you're not going to find the quotation marks in the original language. So the you know you've got to use uh, you've got to use some discernment here. Don't just take the NASB 95 at its word, uh, but at the same time that can be very helpful. So identify quotations in your translation or in multiple translations uh, because that can point to you know who's speaking and uh, who they're speaking about. Okay, so identifying quotations can be can be uh, very important. You want to identify cultural references to the best of your ability. This can be difficult, and this is. Uh, one of the things that uh, Roy Zook, in his book, he talks about multiple gaps, right? Gaps between the text and us. One of them is like language gaps. Okay, it's written in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, and I'm an English speaker, right? So, so there's a language gap, but there's there's a, a time or a history gap where it's you know we're 2,000 years removed from this. There's a cultural gap. I didn't live in that culture, so uh, that gap is real, and so cultural references can be difficult to identify. Uh, but do the best you can, uh, and and oftentimes things will pop out and be uh, will be apparent. You know why did God make the covenant with Abraham the way He did, right? With the animals and 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 splitting the animals in half, and then Abraham going to sleep and him walking with the torch, God carrying the torch through the animals on His own. You know what does that point to? And you can look in the context of the scriptures to identify that. 
you know, it was a way of God saying, I'm making this covenant uh, with you, but it's, it's basically, I'm making it with myself. It makes it an unbreakable covenant because God would have to break his covenant and he, he doesn't do that. And so cultural references can be important and give some identity uh, or some to help to identify some of the uh, context of what's going on. Next, you want to identify clauses. Uh, and this is where we get into phrasing. Okay, Clauses, you've got independent clauses and dependent clauses. right? Can the, can the clause stand on its own or is it dependent on another one? Okay, uh, And this is where you're going to start getting into phrasing. So when you look at a complex sentence that's made up of multiple clauses, then you have to identify what's independent, what stands on its own, and what else is dependent on this. So if we go to Romans, we're going to look at Romans 12 in a little bit, but for for an example, if you go to Romans 12, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Okay, I urge you, brethren, uh, is, is independent. It stands on its own. To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. That's dependent. That's not an independent clause that doesn't comprise a full sentence. right? And that's kind of easy to identify. Just read it on its own and doesn't make any sense. So just bar all other words around it, just the phrase or the clause itself. To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. That can't stand on its own, so it's a dependent clause. So as you're phrasing, and we'll get into it a little bit on, on what that looks like. As you're phrasing, uh, the de- dependent clauses have to be identified as dependent on some independent clause, okay? And it'll it'll make complex sentences much easier to understand because you've broken it down and now the dependent clause is, is dependent on, you've identified what is it dependent on, and then you can identify how does it modify the independent clause, right? I urge you, brethren, okay, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God is dependent on I urge you, brethren. Okay, what is so it's by the mercies of God. You've got the preposition there. Well, what is it what is it pointing to? By the mercies of God, that's a that's a um uh and it's instrumental. It's it's how how is how are they going to do whatever's next? By the mercies of God. Uh to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service work. Okay, so you go on and you can find these dependent clauses and you can start attaching them to independent clauses. Um, so in, in that phrasing, you can get pretty technical with that as well. And that's where you're really going to see a flow of argumentation, right? It's, uh, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay. So you, you have a conjunction there. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The relationship there is, uh, contrastive, right? Instead of being conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not do this, but do this. And so that you may prove what the will of God is. Well, now what are we looking at? What is What kind of uh, uh, phrasing is so that you may prove what the will of God is? It's a purpose statement, right? So you're going to do it uh, for this purpose. And so this is where we're getting into, you really want to identify types of connection and what it connects to. Okay, so you've got your independent clauses, your dependent clauses. You've got your compound sentences that have conjunctions within them. And so you're getting these various types of connections. And so now you want to identify uh, what type is it and what does it connect to? So some, some of the most common ones would be cause. So if something is causal. You can look at means, result, purpose, manner, time, location, condition. Okay, so th- those are some of the most common ones. So you have to ask the question, 
So let's ask it this way. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. What question is so that you may prove what the will of God is? What is it answering? Right? So just do it like this. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind because you may prove what the will of God is. Is that is that is it a causal thing? It's not. It's not uh, uh, answering cause. Uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that, is it why? Is it answering why? Why I'm being transformed by the renewing of your mind? And it is. It is being answering why. And so there are multiple types of connections that will answer why, but one of the most common is purpose, right? So why are we doing it? Well, we're doing it for this reason. Okay, so why are we being transformed by the renewing of your mind? So that you may prove what the will of God is. That's why. Okay, so you want to ask those types of questions. What is, what is, the, what is it answering? And when you get into that, it's really going to be, helpful as you're interpreting it's one of the most it's one of the most impactful things for me as i'm looking at the scriptures because i now understand the argumentation what what's being said and how are these things connected right uh uh, why did jesus die why are we to renew the minds why are we to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice um you so you start seeing these connections and you get a lot of questions answered so then after that you want to summarize your findings um, as you're looking, try and try and because when you're when you're working through some of these things, like identifying grammatical and syntactical keys, you're going to come up with a ton of data. The amount of data you're going to have is going to be nuts. I mean, you're just going to have a ton of information, and so it's helpful at the end of these steps to try and summarize a little bit. I actually am working on a, a template uh, that's basically helps you walk through these steps. Uh, it's just an Excel spreadsheet, but it, you're able to take a passage and put the data in this spreadsheet, and then at the end of it, it's, t- it's kind of summarized it for you. So it's easy to see, it's easy to understand, uh, and you can come to some application conclusions based on solid data uh, within the text. So that's, th- that's coming soon. And so, so yeah, you're just going to take any passage, and you're going to walk through those steps to do this. You're going to start by identifying main parts of speech, diagram your sentence, Identify figures of speech, identify quotations, identify cultural references, identify clauses so that you can see the connection between them, identify types of connection and what it connects to, and then at the end of that, uh, you simply want to summarize your findings. So it's pretty simple. Uh, if if uh, It might be more helpful to see it done. There is actually, I wanted to point out, there is a website, uh, and it's super simple, um, and, and honestly, I've never heard of it before, uh, before like last week, but I s- started doing some research because, again, I've taught this material a lot of times, but I've always taught it visually, like in a, in a, a higher ed classroom. So doing it audibly is, has proven to be a little more difficult. So if I can direct you, I think this gives a, it's just a text page. I mean, there's no pictures or anything. Uh, so uh, it's, it, uh, you know, it's not going to be visually appealing. But uh, ibiblio.org, I-B-I-B-L-I-O.org, slash koine, slash Greek, slash phrasing, slash phrasing Greek text. Okay, that's the website. But if you just go into Google and you type in phrasing and koine Greek, it's the first thing that pops up. Uh, but So it's very helpful. It just breaks it down into steps uh, of what you should be doing as you're phrasing. Uh, it's much easier to see it than it is for me to try to explain it to you. But it's a very important process, and so I'd recommend you go look at that or just look at some other resources, any resources that shows you uh, the phrasing uh, the phrasing process. The other thing I wanted to point out, another tool that can be helpful uh, is the Blue Letter Bible. 
So blueletterbible.org. It's super simple to use. It's a free resource. I don't use it very much because I have Logos, and uh, I really enjoy Logos, and it's very helpful uh, and, and a little bit more uh, complex. But Blue Letter Bible gives some great resources. So you go to blueletterbible.org, and at the top right, it's going to ask you for a verse, word, or topic. So let's do, uh, we'll just do Romans 12. Uh, we'll do Romans 12.1, and then right below that, it'll, it'll let you pick a translation. I always do the NASB 95 because it's the only inspired translation. Uh, that's I'm kidding. It's not inspired. Uh, but it, I, I really enjoy the translation. So I did NASB uh, 20, uh, 95, excuse me. And it's going to pull up a, a list of basically Romans 12. It's going to break it down verse by verse. Okay. Now, I can click on, as I'm looking at that, I can click on the reference. It's right next to the actual text that I picked. Romans 12.1. So if I click Romans 12.1, it's going to it's gonna open up a morphological GNT. So it's going to take, in the Greek, it gives you the, the passage in the Greek, and then it's going to break it down for you. So like, okay, so the first, the first row says, therefore, it gives you the Strong's number. If you're using a Strong's concordance or a Strong's uh, dictionary. And then it gives the inflected root and transliteration. So therefore, uh, uh, and then next to that, it'll actually say the word for you. Uh, so you can click the speaker. It says the words. So you can see, you know, uh, so then you can you can say it, and it'll make a little bit more sense as you look at the Greek letters. Uh, and then next to that, it parses it for you. So it tells you uh, what root it comes from. It tells you what part of speech it is. So, like, therefore is a conjunction, uh, and then it lets you know what the English translation is. Now, what it doesn't do is it doesn't tell you, like, uh, what type of conjunction is it or what, uh, what's the connection there? What is there for? What what is it? What is it pointing to? Right. And again, kind of the the thing that that always comes to mind is when you see a therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? Right. What's it pointing back to? What's it connecting? Uh, and then so then you go to I urge. Okay. Is the next is the next word in the Greek, and it gives you the Strong's number. Parakaleo is the Greek. It'll let you. It'll say it for you, and then it tells you that it's a, a verb. It's the present active indicative, first person singular. And it's translated as I urge. So you can go on and it'll tell you all of the all the parts of speech. So all that information I gave you earlier about identifying parts of speech. And I wanted to get through that before I gave you the cheat code, if you will. Right. Because we get into the blue letter Bible and you want to be able to you want to know how to do it on your own so that when you use a tool, you can confirm that it's accurate. Now, very rarely do I ever run across something in blue letter Bible or Logos where I'm like, oh, yeah, they got that wrong. That's not translated correctly. Uh, or that's not uh, that's not identified correctly, right? They don't they don't call nouns verbs and verbs nouns. And they're pretty accurate on that. Uh, there's a lot of people using the software and can fix mistakes, uh, but it's still good to know. It's still good to know these things. So, Blue Letter Bible is really helpful. I know there's there's a few more tools out there. I think that are free. I don't use them. I think eSword is one of them. Um, but anyway, so there's some tools that really help with the gr- grammar and syntax aspects of these. Um, but it's fun to get your hands dirty and get in there and do it on your own. And then you can go to these tools and see how you did. So that's what I would recommend, uh, doing that. So we're at, we're at like 24 minutes. So I won't go into the lexical keys. I think they need a little bit more time than, than five minutes. So we'll go ahead and and end a little bit early today. Uh, if you have questions, feel free to reach out to me again. I know this can be a bit difficult to explain in an audio version. So I uh, apologize if there's a little bit of confusion there, but I, I'm hoping that this is helpful and that it's that it's not just really confusing. So uh, I'd love your feedback. Go to johnogglesby.org. 
you go to the contact page, shoot me an email. Uh, and uh, I'll respond as soon as I can and would, would love some, some critical feedback. Um, other than that, I will see you next week. I hope you have a blessed week, and I'll see you at 5 a.m. next Wednesday.